want to open your Bible into Matthew chapter 16, you could do that. First uh, Peter chapter 2 is also another scripture we're going to go to here in just a minute. Um, I've actually had this sermon in my heart for a long time. Um, this is actually one of the things that I believe is one of the most important things for, in order for the kingdom of God to make an impact in our world. And there's one church in particular that does this really well. Um, Bethel Church in Redding, California. I don't know what you know of them or what you like of them or don't like of them, but one thing they do really well is honor. Um, they're a church that really knows how to do it. And I've studied some of their stuff. I've listened to some of their messages on it uh, because I believe honor is essential uh, for the kingdom of God to come on earth. And uh, we're gonna look at that today. And I've called this the honor key. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, Jesus is having a conversation with his uh, disciples. And we're gonna talk about this passage more in depth, and you, you might look at your bulletin and say, well, it says 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. That's because I was confused as to which verse to put on, and so uh, at the last minute, I decided this one, because I didn't want to be one of those preachers that read a verse and then jump off and go in a different direction, but uh, I really felt like what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 16 is going to tie into what we're going to say not only today, but in a couple weeks. We're going to come back to this passage in two weeks and talk about it more in depth. But today we're just going to talk about it briefly. And so be assured that you've got to put these two messages together in order to have them make a little more sense. But in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus introduces us to the word church, the Greek word ekklesia, for the first time. And, uh, you know, as I was praying today, Lord, help us not to miss what you deem most important um, what we call church, I don't think is really anything close to what Jesus envisioned when he said the word ecclesia, church, where he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We think of church as a building, a denomination, per program, services. Um, church is none of those things. Church is, an, it's a movement. That's what Jesus began, a movement, a group of people, an army, if you will. That's church. This building could fall down today and the church would exist, okay? At the same time, there can be a building on this corner and no church. Catch that? So that's what we're, we're looking into and we're gonna be talking about. So Jesus says in that passage where he's gonna build his church, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. How would you like the keys to the kingdom of heaven? I mean, that's better than keys to a new car, or keys to some nice house, that, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will, you will, will be permitted in heaven. And now, there are times we take that passage of scripture to mean that I can just forbid anything I wanna forbid and it'll happen, and I can loose anything I wanna loose, and that's not what it means. That's written in a tense that means whatever is already forbidden in heaven, you may forbid on earth, and whatever is already loosed in heaven, you may already loose on earth, because Jesus did that at Calvary. When he died on the cross and said, it is accomplished, he literally said, the kingdom of heaven is now on earth. And so you can actually, by the authority of the cross, take the kingdom of heaven and put it on earth that's what he's talking about so if it's not in heaven you can't you can loose it all day it's not going to go loose okay so you can misinterpret that context and we'll come back to that like i said in a few weeks but peter tells us that we have everything we need for life and godliness literally we have the keys to the kingdom of heaven 
We have tools, Paul says. We have weapons, and we can use them either to release the kingdom of God on earth or permit the kingdom of darkness on earth. Say, who who of us would permit the kingdom of darkness? All of us in this room are probably guilty of permitting the kingdom of darkness. If you don't think so now, uh, hopefully we all will at the end of the message today. But to illustrate this, I brought along my treasure chest. How many of you like treasures? I love treasures. And I'm going to need three volunteers. And so I'm not going to pick them. Sorry, put your hands down. Um, I'm going to choose three connect cards out of the basket today. And I need three volunteers. I promise not to embarrass you, although coming up here might embarrass you. Um, and I promise you it could be worth it for you. And so, if, but if you don't want to come, when I pull your name out, just say, no, not me. Uh, and we'll pass you over and we'll go to someone else. But hopefully, uh, we'll be able to pull out a few uh, volunteers. So I need three volunteers. So if you filled out a Connect card today, good for you. Let me see here. Christina Lee, come on down. Let's see, got to get another one here. Christina Harrington, come on down. Wow, is there any other Christinas here today? It must be a blessed name. I don't know. Richard Ramos. Richard Ramos, are you here? Oh, must be present to win. Oh, all right, we'll have to take another name because we have to keep moving. Oh, that's me. I'm not going to win. Sorry. Sorry. No, you don't get to be in my place. Virginia Hofer. She's going to pass. We'll find one. Don't worry. Don't worry. There's still a chance. Ken Lambert. Come on down, Ken. All right. If you three volunteers, thank you very much. Come on up here. Stand up here if you would, where everyone can see you. And in this envelope, I have three keys. Only one of these keys is going to open the box, okay? If you pick the winning key, you get what's in the box. But if you don't, you don't get anything except the joy of standing up here with me. So we'll go in order of we chose your name. So you pick a key. I tore the edges so you wouldn't get a paper cut. Thank you. I was very worried that someone was going to get a paper cut. Okay, and then you just get what's left, so... We'll see if the Lord smiles on you or not. Today, anyway. He smiles on you every day. That was terrible. (laughs) Okay, Christina, come on over and uh, try your key in our little lock here. See what happens. Mm. I don't think so. No go. Try it the other way. I can do this. Oh, I don't think that's a good one. Don't break it off in the lock. (laughs) all right Christina let's see what happens it goes in does it turn it does all right open this up let's see what your treasure is how about that $50 bill and one of these one of these for you I'll take all your keys back, please. Thank you. Because we're going to be using this for a BGMC fundraiser in a few weeks, and so we don't want any good keys floating around out there. 
Thank you guys. Would you give them a hand? Now, everyone today is going to get a keychain um, that says honor. And that's a reminder to us because to me, honor is much like this illustration. In this chest is a treasure. And the only way to open it up and receive of what's inside is to use the key. And our relationships, our lives are much like that. It's as if God is inside this box, the kingdom of heaven, and we carry it around all day long. And if we use honor, we open up the box and people get to receive of the kingdom of God. But when we choose not to honor, it doesn't matter what treasure is in there. When we choose to dishonor other people, we keep the box closed. And the kingdom of heaven is to no effect in our lives or in the lives of people around us. The word honor is an interesting word. In the scripture, it is attached to every single relationship we have on the earth. Our relationship to God, the, the scripture tells us honor God. Our relationships to our parents, honor your father and mother. Honor those that are in authority over you, the scripture says. In relationships that we have with our spouses, we're taught to honor one another. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, it says this, honor everyone. Well, that pretty much sums it up. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, honor the emperor. The word everyone, just in case you were wondering, means all, any, total, whole, any kind of. So there's no one on planet Earth that we are not to honor. Now I know in, in your mind right away you're saying, what about people that don't deserve it? The scripture says honor everyone. If it would mean only honor those who are worthy of honor, it would say honor those that act worthy of honor, but it doesn't. It says honor everyone. Now we're gonna talk about what honor is. Honor is the Greek word timeo. That word means to honor, to assist, or to set a price on. So in, if you work in a store and you're putting the price, the value of something, but how many of you know value can mean different things to different people? If I walk in a store, I may not place the same value on that item and I'm not going to buy it. But you may value that item more than me and you'll pay that price for it. But the interesting thing about honoring everyone or setting the price on people is literally what the scripture is asking us to do. It's not how what value I place on them, it's what value he places on them. And God so valued the world that he gave his one and only son. You say, well, Pastor Tom, that says God so loved. Yes, God so valued the world that he gave his one and only son. Now, in some of our relationships here on the earth, when, like with the Lord, we're told to honor the Lord. And that means to obey the Lord. That means to value the Lord. On earth, we're told to honor those in authority over us, the governing authorities. That in some way means to obey also, but not in the same way it does with God. We're told to honor our father and mother. And with that, we know the scripture also teaches us to obey our parents. 
So the word honor is difficult to describe because it carries with it the idea of obedience, but not always. Does that make sense? It means to give preference to. It means to place value upon. And so the only time we're to give total and absolute obedience is to God. So if we read something in scripture and it says do this or don't do this and we say, God, I honor you, I love you, I value you, but we don't put into practice what his word says, the Bible says we lie and the truth is not in us. No matter how much we say we honor or value the Lord, if we're not walking in obedience to him, we don't value him. If I say I honor the Lord or love the Lord, but I don't honor and obey my parents as a child, I lie. If I don't honor everyone, value them, give preference to them, no matter what I say about how I honor or value the Lord or honor or value them, it's not true. In Ephesians chapter six, our first passage of scripture today says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live a long time in the land. That word honor and that word obey are interchangeable in this passage. But it says honor your parents. It actually says in the Lord in some of your translations. Obey your parents in the Lord. What does that mean? That means if my parents tell me to do something that the Lord has commanded me not to do, which by the way, the Lord has not commanded you not to clean your room. But in the word, if my parents, if I'm a Muslim and my parents say reject Jesus, I can't obey my parents in the Lord. But notice with honor your father and mother, it doesn't say in the Lord. No exception. Honor your father and mother always. Because obedience deals with my action and honor deals with my attitude. And so I can disobey my parents but remain in an honoring posture before them. And in the same way, I can obey them and not be honoring them. I can obey them with my actions but my attitude and maybe what I say about them behind their backs is dishonoring, if you will. Does that make sense? Now, some of you are like, well, but I don't have to obey my parents. I'm too old. But notice there's no timeline on honor. Honor your father and mother. So why is this important? Why is honor so important? Because of the value that God has placed on every human life. What value has God placed on every human life? His son. And I believe there's a kingdom principle tied to honor. When Jesus talks about binding and loosing or the keys to the kingdom, by our knowledge, our actions, we are opening up the kingdom of God on earth or we are forbidding the kingdom of God on earth. In other words, we can choose by honoring or not honoring to release the kingdom of God or keep the box shut. Can I tell you, when we learn to open this box and live in honor towards one another, honor towards those who are dishonorable, if you will, the kingdom of God is gonna get released in great dimension on the earth, and it's gonna be better than a $50 bill. Although a $50 bill isn't a bad prize either. In Ephesians chapter six, honor your father and mother. First Peter chapter three, verse seven tells us this, in the same way husbands give honor 
to your wives. Honor to your wives. Paul, I didn't put it up there, tells wives to honor your husbands, respect them. The word honor and respect many times are interchangeable in scripture. But Peter says, husbands, if you dishonor your wives, your prayers are hindered. Interesting. I mean, you can do everything else perfect and right. You can say, Jesus, I come to you today because of your blood, and you can pray this perfect prayer that you've mapped out, and everything is scriptural, but if you are dishonoring your wife, box closed, and your prayers get hindered. That's a big deal. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 15 says, if you refuse to forgive others, you don't get your sins forgiven. I mean, you can, do, you can pray any prayer you want, you can live it however you want, but when we harbor unforgiveness, which literally is just dishonor, we won't need that today. Dishonor, the box stays closed, and you don't get to partake of forgiveness in your own life. How many of you know, I wanna live this way? Because not only am I gonna benefit, but everyone around me is gonna benefit too. Romans chapter 12, verse 17, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable, full of honor. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, don't take revenge. Leave it to the righteous anger of God. Don't let evil conquer you. Conquer evil by doing good. In other words, if someone treats me in a dishonorable way and I dishonor back, evil wins. But if someone treats me dishonorably and I honor them in return, I conquer evil by doing good. Why? Because I've opened the box and I'm introducing the kingdom into that situation. But here's the problem. We can't see it. We can't see it. I mean, I don't get to see what's happening in heavenly realms and in places, and so when someone treats me with evil and I honor them in return or I don't treat them that way, I don't actually get to see the, the conquering at first. And so it's so much easier to just be dishonoring and then wonder why our lives and our churches and our families don't have the power or presence of God in them. Right there. See, I believe this is the secret to a lot of stuff. How we treat other people on the earth. In Matthew chapter five, verse 44, it says this. I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. I mean, if you love people that love you, you're not perfect. You're, you're just normal. If you treat people well that treat you well, you're just normal. If you want to be like your father, <laughs> while we were his enemies, he valued us. He honored us. And he sent his son. There's not one of us in this room that deserved him to send his son for us. And he did. And he did it while we were his enemies. He did it while we didn't even think about him, care about him, or want him in our lives. And if you want to be like him, Honor is the way to do that. You want to be perfect like your father because he sends his son to rise on the evil and on the good. I mean, it's not like when we go outside, we can tell who's good and who's evil because there's, a, there's shade over them. Although, 
the Lord could put shade on me all the time when I'm out in the sun, because then you wouldn't have to put sunblock on, that'd be great. But do you, do you understand what he's saying? I mean, the sun shines on everybody. The rain doesn't just fall on one field of the righteous and not fall on the unrighteous. In fact, sometimes the rain falls on the unrighteous and the righteous get nothing. Or so we think. Jesus says if you want to be perfect, it's how you treat your enemies. It's how you treat people who in your mind don't deserve honor. They deserve us to treat them harshly. They deserve us to mock them or criticize them or complain against them or whatever else we would choose and then we wonder why the box is closed. Because our culture teaches us that my behavior chooses my value. And if I act in a way that is dishonorable, then my value changes. But my value does not change ever. My value stays the same always. Always. Whether I'm good or bad, my value is the same. Because none of us were good. And yet our value was the same. Are you, are you, are you getting it? I know some of you are like, what, 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 what? some of you have so many questions right now, but we're going to get there, I promise. The truth is our values never changed. But what about punishment? What about discipline? I mean, doesn't that come into play here? Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That could say with honor. You need to restore them in honor. Discipline must be done in honor. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Discipline them with honor. Governing authorities, you have power over those subject to you, but lead with honor. And for those of us that think, well, but what about the, the dishonorable governing authorities? Honor the emperor. Who's emperor during the time that 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 is written? I mean, isn't the emperor an everyone? Isn't he? So why does Peter have to say honor everyone, honor the emperor? Because the emperor most believed to be Nero, but could have been Domitian. Now, either one of them hated Christians. Both of them persecuted Christians heavily. Nero liked to light his garden with Christians. He would literally put them on a pole and catch them on fire to light his garden at night. Honor the emperor. Those are tough words. But if we're going to overcome evil in our world, that's what has to happen. I mean, the world looks at these, these men in Egypt that were beheaded by ISIS and thinks, how could they die in, in such peace, with such dignity, with such honor toward the ones that are, are literally slicing their heads off? That's how you conquer evil. We don't conquer evil with tanks and bombs and missiles because, I mean, kill them all and there's going to be someone that rises up to take their place. Do I think that, that terrorists shouldn't be brought to justice? No, but the justice should include honor, value, because that's how you overcome evil. Should there be punishment for crime? Absolutely. If you break the law, you go to jail. 
but we do it with honor. I mean, at times when we, especially when crimes are committed against children, it's like the glove comes off. And we, because we, we look at that and we think, man, children are so innocent. And we use words like scumbag. Another scumbag. That's what we do. Literally, that's what we do. Should that person go to jail? Absolutely. Should the crime that they committed against a child be punished? Absolutely. But if we think that using the term scumbag to describe them is bringing victory, we're mistaken. And the enemy just loves it. He loves it because it feels so justified. I mean, after all, we're having compassion on the victim. But here's the crazy thing about the kingdom of God. Not only does the victim deserve our compassion, but so does the criminal. Because all they are is a pawn. You say, man, there's so many evil people on the earth. Yes, all of them. All of us. There's no one righteous, no, not one. And the only thing that keeps us from being the scumbag is the grace of God. And so if I refer to anyone as a scumbag, the Apostle Paul says, I'm the chief of scumbags. And that's a guy who was raised in church, but persecuted Christians. Matthew chapter five teaches us this. If you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar, you're in a worship service and your hands are up and you're crying or you're bringing your offering and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, can I tell you that's not the devil? I mean, maybe he's bringing it up so you can harbor it, but if you remember that someone has something against you, what do you do with it? The Bible says, leave your sacrifice at the altar and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice. Because here's the thing, you know, you can bring a sacrifice, you can bring your tithe, you can be faithful, you can give 90% to missions, you can worship with your hands up, you can be up here, you can be wherever, but if you're harboring unforgiveness, it doesn't matter. You can tithe and you're not gonna have blessing on your finances. Why? Because the kingdom of God is closed. You have the key, but you're choosing not to open the lock. In fact, if we had the time, every time I closed this box, I'd put the lock back on. We don't have that kind of time. We open up the box. You leave your gift and you be reconciled. That teaches us that in the kingdom of God, relationship is a priority. And so everything I do in a relationship with someone else is of utmost importance because either I'm going to value them or not value them. And even when I have to deal with something that I see, because here's what, here's what we do. We see someone who makes a mistake or someone that's in sin. Galatians 6.1 tells us we gotta deal with that in the body of Christ. Matthew chapter 18, we're gonna look at that just in a second. And Jesus tells us the same thing. You gotta deal with this stuff. Well, we gotta deal with it in honor. And if I ignore it, I'm not honoring that person. If I see someone in sin and I don't say anything to that person, I'm dishonoring them. If I go to someone else and tell them about the sin I saw in that person, all I'm doing is defaming them, or as the Bible says, slandering. Well, I'm just telling this person so they can pray for that person, or so that they can go to that person. The, the, nowhere in the Bible does it say to do that. 
It says if you see, if someone has something against you, if you have someone against, something against someone, go to them for restoration, not punishment, not discipline, for restoration. See, parents, when we discipline our children, it's not because they've embarrassed us. It's not because they've done something to make our lives inconvenient and so they must be punished. That's not discipline. That's not honor. But how many of us have watched someone in in a rage pull a child out of a store and sat there and said, what a jerk. Oh, I knew I'd get you sometime. I try to make it a little light, but I promise you this is not light. And I wish I could sit up here and say that I did this really well, but you, ah, but you know, I had the opportunity to preach the same message out at uh, James Valley, and I didn't actually plan to ever close the box, but as I did, every time that box slammed, it was just like that constant reminder. And every day since that, two months ago, Every time I dishonor someone, I, I, I literally hear that sound. Bam. Bam. It's a great deterrent. It doesn't work overnight, but it'll work eventually. Maybe we'll leave the box up here for a few weeks. In Matthew chapter 18, here's a, a common passage of scripture. I tell you, whatever you forbid and declare to be improper and unlawful on earth, must be what is already forbidden in heaven and what you permit and declare proper and lawful on earth must be what is already permitted in heaven. Sounds a lot like Matthew 16, 19, doesn't it? Again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree, harmonize together, make a symphony together about whatever, anything and everything they may ask, it will come to pass and be done by them, by my father, excuse me, by, for them, by my father in heaven, not done by them, done for them by my Father in heaven. For wherever two or three are gathered, drawn together as my followers into my name, there I am in the midst of them. The most misused passage in all of the world. That all we have to do is show up in a place, claim to be a Christian, and as long as there's two of us, Jesus is there. Remember what we taught a few weeks ago or a few months ago when we said we've got to look at the scripture and we've got to look at a passage in the full context? Well, if that's true, then it takes two for Jesus to be present. Can I tell you something? He lives in us by his spirit. It does not take two for Jesus to be present. That must not be what Jesus is saying because he's in me when I'm all by myself. Are you with me? Unless the two are me and the Holy Spirit, (laughs) that's not what Jesus means here. So we have to look at the entire context. And in Matthew chapter 18, this is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about, at the beginning of the chapter, dealing with offense. If someone has wronged you or hurt you and you become offended by that, he tells us how to deal with it. Yep, he tells us how to deal with it. Not push it under the rug, not put it under the carpet, but deal with it. And he doesn't tell us to deal with it in a way that is a punishment. It's a way that leads to, as he says, restoration. Then he talks about church discipline. I know that's like an oxymoron in our world, but back in the day when Jesus was talking, he actually sets up discipline in the body of Christ. The apostle Paul teaches on discipline in 1 Corinthians. Then Jesus talks about restoration and forgiveness. 
So in the context of all of this, Jesus says, if you come together in my name. He's not talking about just showing up in a building. He's not just talking about being in the same location. He's talking about a genuine coming together. Can I tell you, the problem in churches is not conflict. The problem in churches is unresolved conflict. The problem in marriage is not conflict. In fact, if you're married and you've never had conflict, I'd love to talk to you. It's impossible. Because wherever two or three are gathered, there's conflict. Because there's two different sets of opinions. There's two different ways of seeing things. And what, there's a, a prescription here of how to come together through and past all of that. And if we do that, he's there in our midst. What does that mean? I think it means a whole lot like this. If there's unresolved conflict, we can have, we can have Matt Redman, Chris Tomlin, Christian Stanfield up here. The kingdom is not coming. I mean, we could have whoever you want here. I won't name anybody because I'll probably offend you with something. Any pastor, any preacher, any teacher you want, the kingdom's not coming. We could paint these walls any color. We could put up anything we want. We could have whatever program you think is the best program. And the kingdom is not coming. But if we have a coming together, say we're going to find a way to do this the way Jesus intended. We're going to find a way to push past and get past and come together genuinely. Not just take conflict and pretend it's not there. Not just take conflict to someone else and tell them about that. But we're going to actually come together and we're going to deal with stuff the way we're supposed to deal with stuff. Look out. The world isn't looking for a church that's void of conflict. They're looking for a church that loves in spite of conflict. Honor. So what do we do in a culture that dishonors all over the place? How do we live? Well, ultimately, we honor God always. We obey God always. As a, again, I'll say, it, if, we, if we disobey God in any way, we, we're, we're devaluing him. And so we, we honor him. We honor those that are in authority over us, whether that be our parents, a teacher, parents, your teachers, your children's teachers, their coaches, their principals, our government authorities, the police. And there's no exemption that if they act dishonorably, then we dishonor them. Now, if a confrontation needs to take place, a confrontation needs to take place. If a teacher is treating your child with dishonor, then you need to go to that teacher and deal with it in honor. You don't sit at home around the table and say, well, that teacher, that teacher this, and that teacher that, and you're... You know what you're going to raise? Children that don't know how to honor. Stand up for your kids, absolutely, if someone's mistreating them, but do it with honor. Do it the way the Bible describes it to be done. Keep in mind that either Nero or Domitian is the emperor at the time, and both of them are much worse than our president. 
You want to criticize our president's policies? Go for it. But when you start to mock or question the motive, because even if we think we know the motive of another human, we don't. And we want to put down and we want to slander. Absolutely stand against policy. Absolutely. There was a time in America where we actually talked about policy and not character. And I don't think people have changed all that much. Character is still what it is. I mean, if you think politicians lie today and didn't back then, (laughs) study history. Look at Thomas Jefferson's character, if you will. Not so good. So, I'm just saying. Romans chapter 13 says, I think I need to change batteries. Can you pull up Romans 13? There you go, thank you. Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Is there gonna come a time when we have to disobey our governing authorities? Yeah. But we never dishonor them. Find me one example in scripture of someone dishonoring a governing authority. Disobeying? Always. Happened all the time. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did over and over again, but listen to their words. Oh, your majesty. I mean, they're gonna get thrown into the furnace anyway. Why? What's this your majesty stuff? This guy is mad because you won't worship a false god. He's about to throw you into a furnace, and twice you use the term majesty? See, they must have understood something that we don't understand. You say, Pastor Tom, I understand that. No, we don't. Or we wouldn't live like this. Our church leaders, the scripture teaches us in 1 Timothy, are to be considered worthy of double honor. Why do you think that is? You know that in our day and age, one of the things that I really have to sometimes take a step back on because it's like my little soapbox is when people start labeling TV evangelists and well-known pastors and preachers as false prophets, false prophets. Or we start mocking what they believe or mocking them for what they do. I mean, I know you can pull up YouTube and watch all kinds of videos that mock people that are on TV for the way they live or the way they believe. But I think the the idea of double honor means walk with double caution. In fact, if the Bible says if there's an elder and you want to present an accusation against him, let it be by two or three witnesses. Not two or three people who have heard somebody say that somebody said that somebody said, but two people who have absolute fact in that situation. Again, if you want to stand against doctrine or teaching, absolutely. But be careful when you step into criticizing people and labeling people and mocking people. Because we think, you know, we're protecting the church from false doctrine, and all we're doing is closing the lid on the kingdom. You don't have to teach people who all the false prophets are. Teach them the truth so that they learn to recognize the error. That's what the scripture teaches us. Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So be careful. 
We're to honor those that are older than us. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. Interesting that back in Leviticus chapter 19, honoring people and fearing the Lord tied together hand in hand. John teaches us in 1 John that if we don't love those that we see, we don't love a God that we can't see. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, if you want to correct an older man, never speak harshly. Appeal to him respectfully, full of honor, as you would your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. So in other words, in the body of Christ, don't look down on those young people and and just talk to them, you know, those young people just don't understand. Those young people, those young people, honor them. Those old people, those old people, I mean, we, we mock in our culture the elderly and the scripture says we're supposed to honor them. Oh, I mean, when your child from the back seat yells, come on, grandma, while you're driving, box closed. <laughs> Literally, box closed. I mean, we do laugh, and in fact, in the situation, it would be funny to us in our mind, but box closed. I mean, that's how, that's how much dishonor has seeped into our culture. I mean, we say phrases like that, and we don't even think. If we could see what is taking place in the realms of the spirit by our words, I think we would talk a lot different. We know that we're to honor our peers. Peter says honor everyone. And we honor them even when they don't act honorably. Because honor just deals with our attitude and our treatment of them. I mean, if we can't, if we can't discipline or correct our children or, or discipline or correct another person or go to them without dishonoring them, then it's not time to go. I mean, sometimes we feel like we gotta be in a hurry to correct stuff and sometimes we just need to take our time so that we make sure we let God out of the box. And so today, I'm gonna give you a keychain because we all use keys every day and my prayer and my hope is that every time you use your keys and you're faced with the word honor, you're gonna be reminded of this because some of you are competitive people, right? Come on, it's okay to admit it. When you're playing sports or when you're, do, when you're driving down the road on our way home last night in the van, the, the kids were like, come on, you gotta pass him, you gotta pass him as if somehow whichever van gets back to the school first is gonna win. What do you win? But it's this competitive nature. And so at a red light, of course, when they were stuck behind another car, I swung around and there we go. We're first and we won. Nothing. But we're competitive by nature. And so here's a verse for you. All of you competitive people, Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another, showing honor. Outdo one another, showing honor. I'm gonna show honor better than you. (laughs) Okay, maybe not quite that way. (laughs) But look what the Apostle Paul is saying. If you wanna be competitive, if you wanna outdo people, here's what you do. Outdo them in showing honor. I mean, imagine if all of us lived like this and everywhere we went across Huron, the kingdom of God was being entered into situations. That's how it happens. That's how we win. And so today, we're gonna pray, we're gonna close in prayer, 
and I'm gonna leave the box here in the front and I want you to take a keychain. If you wanna use it, hang it up. In fact, one of the kids at school took the little metal thing off and used it as a wristband. Apparently you can do that too. But uh, that's a reminder to us that this is how we need to live out our lives with honor. I, I guarantee you everyone in this room is guilty of dishonor. In fact, I bet every one of us is more guilty than we know. I believe it. And so my prayer today is God, make us much more aware of what's taking place, whether we're honoring or dishonoring, whether we're lifting others up or we're tearing them down, whether we're building up their reputation or defaming them. How do we handle discipline? How do we handle our our conflict with one another? The way the scripture teaches. Teach us to live with that type of honor. Let's stand together. Father, first and foremost today, we repent. We agree with you that your word has taught us from the beginning to honor one another, to honor those in authority over us, to honor our parents, to, to honor our peers, to honor those older than us, to honor those younger than us. You've taught us to honor those that aren't honorable. And we haven't. We've broken your law and we stand guilty. And Lord, even in our dishonorable position, you valued us enough to send your son for us. He shed his blood for dishonorable people. But because he shed his blood, we can now be perfect as you're perfect. And so we can bless those that curse us. We can honor those who mistreat us and persecute us. We can act honorably when our flesh wants to dishonor. And Father, we agree with your word today that says we're to honor everyone. And Holy Spirit, we need your help. Make us aware of every word, of every action, of everything that we do that would be dishonoring to others. Teach us how to do this so that others can see it and learn from us. So that just like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, others can follow the pattern that we set. That our attitude wouldn't be wrong in trying to outdo one another and showing honor, but God, that that would be the type of passion in our hearts. Especially towards those that the world deems not worthy of honor. Holy Spirit, I pray that your word today would just cut deep into our hearts, that it would produce in us the type of fruit and the type of change that will bring glory and honor to you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I encourage you, if you would, before you go, grab a wristband and then go outdoing one another in honor. Don't forget the Pinewood Derby Is it 12.30 today? If you can stick around, we'd love to have you be a part of that as well. God bless you as you go.